0: Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I am joined by podcast favorite author and professor Stephen Graham-Jones to talk about his latest novel, My Heart is a Chainsaw, and some slasher stories. So, Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk slashers with you.
0: I am so excited to get into this too. It is one of my favorite subgenres, and I know one that you know a ton about so and also we were talking earlier but congratulations on the recent shirley jackson award win for the only good indians and night of the mannequins
1: thank you very much yeah it's a huge honor i love the shirley jackson i love being at the shirley jackson awards at reader but uh you know of course this year it was virtual so i was there on youtube
0: do you like how does that work did you know beforehand or was it a surprise you know when it's announced
1: no, it was a total surprise. I was my I was watching with my wife and I was telling her who I thought was gonna win this category and it wasn't me. And then who was gonna win the other category and it wasn't me, you know. So both times I told her who should win. <laughs> Neither time was it <laughs> did I expect to pull it off, you know? <laughs> well
0: that's exciting. Well the Bram Stokers too this year.
1: Yeah, no, that was just as big of a surprise for sure. Yeah.
0: But that's great. I mean I think well deserved. Well
1: thank you. Thank you.
0: Tell our listeners a little bit about My Heart is a Chainsaw.
1: My Heart is a Chainsaw. Jade Daniels is a high school outcast. She's uh, about to graduate, or she kind of does graduate a little bit in the course of the novel. Um, She lives 8,000 feet up the mountain in Proof Rock, Idaho, and she doesn't fit in with her family. She doesn't fit in at school. She doesn't fit in her town. She doesn't fit anywhere except for on the video shelf. She Loves, idolizes, memorizes slasher movies. She insulates herself with slasher movies. Slasher movies are her lens for the world. She understands things through slasher movies. Um, So when she starts to see what she thinks are the opening movements of a slasher happening in her town, which she's always been hoping and wishing and praying for... um, she tries to ring the alarm. Nobody listens. She tries to train a final girl. The final girl doesn't want to be trained. And the slasher is happening. And she's kind of out on... She's like Cassandra. She's she's saying, y'all should look out, you know? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> this was such an interesting story. I think Jade is probably one of the most memorable characters I've ever read. There's just so many layers to her. So many things going on. I feel like someone who is like so aware of things, yet so unaware of things. I just, and I was telling you earlier, I wanted to give her a hug. Like, that's <laughs> how I felt reading this book.
1: Oh, that's, that's wonderful. It's just, I mean, I've, I've, a lot of people have been saying that, that they want to give Jade a hug and i and you know, I did too writing it. I wanted to be nicer to her. You know, I wanted to like give her more cupcakes, you know, basically that's what you want to do for characters you care about. But at the same time, you got to put them through the meat grinder so they can, so we can see what they're made of, you know?
0: So I was reading in your acknowledgments that you said this was originally a story called Lake Access Only. So how did it evolve from that?
1: You know, I wrote that back in 2013. Um, what happened was, I, for a lot of the 90s, I read um, Jeffrey Eugenides' The Virgin Suicides over and over. I really love that novel. It's a novel, little short thing. I Man, it probably goes 240 pages, something like that, and. It's told in the royal first person. Like instead of I, it's we. And I was really, really just enchanted by that. But I kept thinking, Well, what if what if we use this mode of delivery for a horror story? And so finally in twenty thirteen, I sat down and I jammed out Lake Access only and I found Indian Lake, I found Proof Rock, I found Terra Nova, found a version of Sheriff Hardy. Jade was not there. The narrator then who was a plural narrator but a single person which was you know kind of hard to balance was a kid in an iron mask um and uh, everything hinged on these turtles that were only they only occur in india lake and um I gave it to my agent at the time my agent at the time and she wasn't too impressed with it and i looked it over and i was like yeah it's kind of broken so i put it on the shelf with a lot of other books and then probably right around the time of mongrels i wrote mongrels in well, I wrote that same year, actually, 2013, 2014. Probably about 2015 or 2016, I started coming back to Lake Access only, coming back to Proof Rock, because I felt like um, it was a space I could do something in if I did it differently, you know? And so I just kept on it kept on riding proof rock i kept on cruising those streets and going across lake of terra nova and stalking through ter- stalking through camp blood traipsing across the dam and just trying to figure out the space i was in and soon enough jade just kind of stood up from the water and um she didn't need me to tell her what to do she knew what she was doing and so that's that's always really lucky when that happens when you're a rider um it's it's nice when a character just like presents themselves and takes over and I'm like I just got to write it down you know and but which isn't to say it worked at that time I wrote it and Jade was only a small part of it there was a lot of narrators and so I gave it to people and they, they kind of got back and said yeah it's not that good and I'm, so I rewrote it again and I rewrote it where Jade had the front third of the novel Hardy till the middle third and Letha Mondragon the putative final girl till the last third and um and people read it and they said they were um like less hard on it but they said we were really sad when we had to leave jade you know we liked jade a lot um or nobody wanted to go to hardy hardy was not interesting to hear talk only everybody only everybody (laughs) only wanted to hear jade and so then i rewrote it with jade and um it was really fun but it, it probably wasn't until shoot the last few months that I started doing those slasher one-on-ones that their Jade's extra credit papers for her history teacher Mr. Holmes. They come between the chapters, where she gets to like just rant about um all things slasher for two pages um they those were originally probably each six to ten pages but my agent and my editor bj robbins my agent my editor joe Monty, they all told me get off the soapbox steve you got it. this is actually supposed to it's supposed to be character revealing it's not you showing off what you know about slashers you know and so i'll them all back to two pages and um i started working and i was lucky
0: that's awesome. It was so funny because my next question was actually going to be on influences on your work and say you mentioned two of my all-time favorite novels, The Virgin Suicides, which we just talked about, and Emil Ferris's my favorite thing is monsters.
1: Yeah, yeah, that the 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 girl who draws or you know who is the narrator for my thing is my, my favorite thing is monsters. Um I feel like Jade is like a cousin to her, you know. Um I mean yeah. I read my favorite thing is Monsters when it when did it come out? Like it came out in twenty sixteen, I think, you know. Yeah. And um yeah, and I think that was right right about right the time I was jumping back into um Lake Access only and that's right right around the time I found Jade, you know. So who knows, I may owe something to my favorite thing is Monsters, you know.
0: I did have to ask, was it fun writing the slasher one oh one chapters?
1: It was so fun. <laughs> it was I, I could probably write a whole. I mean, I've got so many left over. I wrote probably three times as many slasher one hundred ones as are in the book. You know, and I could finally only keep the ones that propelled the plot or revealed things about Jade. So, there's a whole lot left over. Yeah, that, that's so fun. I just love. I love thinking about slashers. I love writing slashers. I love being in dialogue with slashers.
0: Well, that someone needs to go through and write like a letterbox list of every like movie that's mentioned in this book because <laughs> there is so many.
1: That's a good place to do it, yeah. Um, I, you know, I spoke to someone, she said that she had a list of all of the movies that are listed in the order they're lifted in in my heart is a chainsaw but then i haven't heard anything else so maybe she's gonna auction on ebay <laughs> i don't know but letterbox <laughs> letterbox is a great place to do that. that that's probably the best place to do that you
0: know yeah okay so listeners anybody listen while reading it for the first time just start like tapping it off and start making a list so for the book and being a big fan of slashers, were there any movies you watched for the first time to write this book or were they all from your personal repertoire,
1: yeah, no, there were most of them were from just like you know my crashing the ninety nine cent video shelf on a Thursday night, you know, back back in the, in the nineties. But um, yeah, there were some that I watched for the first time. Um, Don't go into the woods is one of them. I'd always heard about it, and it's it, it was one of the um, like chapter titles, and so I thought I owed it to myself to know that movie, you know, and and I I like got the fancy Blu Ray from. I forget who did it, Vinegar Syndrome or somebody. Um, And watched it for the first time, and I completely understood why I'd never seen that movie because it is not to my taste. It might be good, <laughs> but not for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and there was well, like the Mutilator. Mutilator is not especially um, well done, so when, like those movies that aren't that great, but I need to have in my head, I would watch them in like 20-minute segments because it's easier to like take them that way, you know?
0: yeah i've i've had movies like that i'm like i i can't do this all at once (laughs) so what is your personal history with horror
1: oh my personal history with horror you know it you know where where it starts is in 1978 i guess um well does that say where it starts you know it might actually start i was born in 72 so i guess i would have this would have been about 76 actually um my mom was married to a guy who had a silver Trans Am with T-tops and um, fast car. And we lived in a place called Big Spring, Texas, which is, you know, just about 30 minutes from where I was born. Um, and he would, on the weekends, go out on the interstate, Interstate 20, and just burn up and down 20, just showing off how fast his car was, you know, getting it up to like 140. And um, And I would ride with him. I'd be like four years old and I'd stand up in the passenger seat and hold his beer for him while he was just doing, you know, it's insane speeds and um and one time he took me to a caliche pit um, on one of those rides and um caliche pit is I don't know if, uh, people out of west texas may not know what caliche is um it's like a really chalky soft rock that's quarried out of the ground and used for road beds, and it's a good thing to use for road beds because it doesn't get wet. It doesn't turn into mud. It kind of it will get slick, but it doesn't get wet. Um, which is to say, all around West Texas, we have these big white pits of just quarried. It's just a big white quarry, and, and mostly people go there. Like in West Texas, we have a. a A melon called a pie melon I think they're all in South Texas some too and it's like a cantaloupe but nobody would ever eat a pie melon they're super hard and terrible it's just a weed and so when pie melons infest your field or wherever you take two or three trucks out there or a trailer and you throw pie melons in it and you take them to the caliche pit and throw them into the caliche pit to get rid of them which is probably I don't know if that's good for the environment or not but but anyways (laughs) he took a caliche pit and this was a big one it had like a 60 foot drop and he like held my shoulder and we kind of edged up to the very, the lip of it. And he said, look at that Stevie. And i remember he called me Stevie back then. And I you know, I had that feeling like, um, you know, that feeling you get when you're close to high spaces, you know, um, when you, you sense that like big void out there before you. And, um, then he said, and then he handed his tall beer, his tall silver beer down to me and he said, hold this. And I had to hold it with two hands, you know? And, um, and he said, watch this. And he pivoted on one foot and dropped right off that cliff. And I remember standing there holding that beer and crying because I didn't know how I was going to get home. I didn't know, you know, the person who drove me to this place that I didn't know where it was, he was gone now. I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I just stood there and cried for a while. And then finally he came and tapped on my shoulder. It turned out that this was like a a joke known around town that if you stepped off the cliff in a certain space, you could grab onto a ledge about 12 feet down and then go hand over hand to the side and climb up on a slope and, you know, scare people that way. Um, (laughs) And um, he had done that to me, and I, that was my first time, I think, to feel that um, total abject terror followed by relief, you know. And that's exactly what horror delivers over and over, I think. And so I suspect that's where I got addicted to it, anyways.
0: <laughs> I think that story traumatized me,
1: <laughs> right? <now. laughs> I, don't, I don't think my mom would have, would have approved. I don't know if she ever knew about it. <laughs>
0: Well, it got us where we are today. Yeah. I did want to ask, what about the slasher genre interests you or draws you to it?
1: No, I think it's that what I was just saying that, um, well, you know, I've, I read somewhere, I should have photocopied this out. I was in a doctor's office or somewhere in a waiting room. Um, but I read somewhere once that um, until the moment of eruption if you're doing a scan on somebody's body until the moment of eruption, you can't tell a laugh from a scream, you know, until you hear it, it can be, it can go either way. I think the slasher capitalizes on that better than any other genre. Cause you never know what you're going to do. You know, is this going to be a joke or like, is, is Wes Craven just going to surprise us by somebody bumping into a planter or is it going to be Ghostface? You know, that's what I like about the slasher that we never know if we're going to laugh or we're going to scream. Um, And to tell you the truth, I think um, the slasher is, it's i mean it owes a lot to scooby-doo you know it's got the the person who's dressed up in in a mask and then and then there's a plucky crew and um all kinds of hijinks and at the end the mask is pulled off and the the person gives a big speech about why they did this um and i grew up on scooby-doo of course and so i think i kind of um got my taste of slashers through that saturday morning cartoon time you know um but what the slasher gives us now or what i feel like it gives me now anyways is um It allows me for 300 pages for two hours whatever to believe in a fair world you know slashers are brutally fair if you do something bad to someone then somebody in a mask can make you pay you know and i'm i like i like believing in that um for a short while i think living in that world is actually kind of rough because if i lose my mcdonald's cup out the window and become a litter bug that doesn't mean i need to get decapitated but in slasher world that might mean that you know um. So it's a it's a it's not a great place to live, but it's a nice place to fantasize about.
0: Which Jade does a lot of. So.
1: She does. Yes, <laughs> she she's she has a distinct need for justice.
0: You know. I had a few questions from Patreon supporters. Yes. So Danielle wants to know what book of yours would you like to see adapted?
1: Um. Well, some are in process right now, but I can't say actually. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: oh. Yeah. Let me think. Um well i think my heart is a chainsaw that would be really fun you know it's got the setting and it's it's a it's a story space that can go for more than just a single installment it feels like you know
0: do you think jade would talk to camera like it would be that kind of a
1: she might yeah she might she'd be like a um, magnum pi you know like winking into the camera <laughs>
0: <laughs> like that she also wanted to know what's your favorite horror book
1: Oh, my favorite. That's a hard call. Um, uh, I'm probably picking from three. I'm picking from Stephen King's The Shining, Jim Files' Experimental Film, and Grady Hendrix's My Best Friend's Exorcism. Um, You know, the one I've read the most is Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door, but it's hard to call that book your favorite (laughs) without feeling terrible. Um, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe *The Shining*. I think, and and the reason I love *The Shining* the novel is that um, there's a moment at the end of it where Dick Halloran is tempted to continue the evil. He's tempted by the like presence or the evil of *The Shining*. You know, um, to mm-hmm. to do violence to Danny. And I love that extra step. You know, because Dick Halloran's been a protector the whole time. You know, yeah. um, But um. I love that at the end, he's tempted to come to the dark side or whatever, you know?
0: I like that. Well, speaking of The Girl Next Door, I remember I listened a few years ago to your episode on literary disco, where you picked yeah, it, it was was a, as a book for them, and they were like, that was an experience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it may, yeah, it may have been outside what they usually read, you know? But I mean, Todd, anyways, he writes some pretty brutal stuff in his crime, yeah. You know? hmm <laughs>
0: Jason wants to know if you were given free reign to novelize one slasher movie franchise, which would you choose?
1: Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause I've been invited to do a few of them,
0: you know, a few of them that are my
1: dreams, but I've had to turn it down. Um, you know, years back, um, Jeffrey Reddick, of Final Destination slipped me the original script for Final Destination. Not the, not the one that got filmed, but his original. And, I'm. Um, and said let's novelize this and so i wrote a chapter of it to see if it would work you know and it did it worked really well we were both really satisfied with it but um but then it fell apart as well because of publishing business all kinds of stuff so i never got to finish that um but let me think probably i think what i would like to do is um i would like to do i would like to actually write the book of um Gail what the book that Gail Weathers writes the what is it the Woodsboro Murders is that what it's called
0: I want to say yes but that would be cool
1: yeah it'd be cool to write her book because I mean we see the cover of it and but that's just a prop you know there's no content um I, I think it'd be fun to write as Gail Weathers about what happened in Scream 1 a,
0: a pulpy true crime yeah 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 that would be cool John says slashers are clearly a subgenre associated with film, but what are its written roots? Are there hidden gems in slasher lit that you'd recommend?
1: You know, I think um, the first book I would probably, or I would call it a proto slasher really would be, um, and then there were none, Agatha Christie. It's like a good closed door thing, you know, Um, I mean, we can go all the way tell you the truth, we can argue that Beowulf, um, is a type of slasher, you know, but, um, I think that get Beowulf, the Beowulf, for Grendel dynamic is kind of the slasher final girl dynamic, you know, but, um, as far as novels go, I think I would start it out with, um, yeah, Agatha Christie and then there were none. I mean, there is a tradition of the, um, all those bloody tragedies that were happening back in Elizabethan times, like Thomas Kidd's, the Spanish tragedy, um, where everybody dies and it's it's all about revenge, you know, and that's kind of like the seeds of the slasher. And you've also got the Grand Guignol stuff happening, you know, Um, that was given a spectacle or murderous spectacle. A lot of things came together to form the slasher, but as far as its textual starting point, yeah, I would probably give it to Agatha Christie.
0: Man, I remember that book was assigned reading in like seventh grade, and that was the first time I'm like, this, I want more of this. Like whatever this is, (laughs) I want to chase that high.
1: For sure i mean it's got the big reveal <laughs> at the end you know why yeah. why this was why all these deaths happened you know and that's part of that's a, this, one of the dis- distinct pleasures of the slasher is at the end of scream when billy says it was because your mom had an affair with my dad you know yeah,
0: yeah. and last patreon question mary says my Heart is a Chainsaw features a character who finds comfort in slasher movies. Do you also find comfort in the slasher subgenre? And why do you think that many of us find a home in a genre that's meant to terrify and disgust us?
1: <laughs> you know, the uh, people who don't know horror would say it's because we're desensitized and we need extreme stuff to, to make us feel. But I don't think I think that's more of an insult. You know, I don't think that's actually yeah. the reason. Um, um, you know, I, I'm probably just going to go back to my previous thing talking about um, slashers allow us to fantasize about a fair society. You know, I think they it really – slashers really deliver that to us. But she's asking about horror in general. Why why would people be drawn? I mean the question basically is why are we drawn to that which is not pleasant, you know? Because um, horror is not always pleasant. It's it's a meat grinder. Um, but I think, I think we go into that dark tunnel not for the tunnel itself but for that point of light way at the end, you know, because I think – um, watching a character or a crew, whoever, struggle through this zombie-infested, terrible, drippy, smelly tunnel to get to daylight tells us that in our own lives, whatever tunnel we're in, if we fight hard enough, if we insist hard enough, if we're smart enough, you know, if we want it badly enough, we can make it to the daylight. We can make it through this problem, this bad boss, whatever it is, you know. Um. So I think, I think that's what horror gives us, anyways. And you know, but also. I tell you the truth, I think it's um, horror is hardwired into us. I, I, I strongly feel that. Um, coming up on the, on the savannah, um, we traded in a lot of things to have big brains, what we traded in was, you know, teeth and speed and claws and like armor like, and all that stuff. So we were basically snacks. You know, everything out there was, wanted to eat us. Um, and which is to say, for millions of years, every dark space around us was populated with with teeth you know with growls um and horror i feel got hardwired into our identity as, as as people as humans and now in today's world you know most of our lives we don't feel like something's going to jump out of the shadows and eat us you know i um, because we, we feel like we've there's light shining in all the corners you know we've had vampires explained away and we don't believe in werewolves and stuff but what horror can give us is it can let us feel human again. It can let us feel that fear that we're gonna be eaten, that we're gonna um that we're gonna have no control over what happens to us. And that is a bad feeling, but it's a good feeling to be human, I think. And that's a, it's a better feeling to be human than it is to be scared, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> Should, we Should we talk about, about some slasher, slasher books? books? Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro FM is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, booksellers, I mean, and us. We also have a playlist on there full of books that have been recommended on this podcast. Books in the freezer special offer: You get two audiobooks for the price of one, just fourteen ninety nine, with your first month of membership using code freezerbook. This offer is valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Thank you, Libro FM, for supporting the show. All right, I will go first. I'll start off with a book I think both of us have read, *Cirque Berserk* by Jessica Guss. I love this. This was part of the Reminder Die series, so this is. There is a carnival where in 1989 a group of teens killed a dozen people and then just vanished into thin air. And legend has it that they still roam the park looking for blood to spill. And then 30 years later, there's a senior class who is bored on their senior trip. And they hear about Cirque Berserk and decide they want to check it out, see if the urban legends are true, but they are not prepared for what is waiting for them. I had such a fun time with this I feel like this really capitalized on like the fun of slasher stories it you know balanced dual timelines well and I think also a great piece on the roles that black women tend to have in horror movies specifically the horror genre the type of roles that they are relegated to which actually does get touched upon in my heart is a chainsaw as well and this was just a ton of fun i did not guess where this was going i thought it was very imaginative and i, I keep saying fun but it, it really was <laughs> like a delightful <laughs> story
1: yeah circ berserk is nothing but fun um but you know jessica she knows her slashers really really well you know um what i met i met her years and years ago i was a guest on a radio show she had um I think when she was in grad school, maybe, and um, we got to talking slashers, and I realized, wait, here's somebody who has the same heart I have. You know, it was really, really wonderful, <laughs> and so I was so thrilled when when Cirque Berserk came out, and I was thrilled also that it seems to be it's it's doing something kind of new with the slasher. You know, um, people always talk about how um, much fatigue the slasher suffers from because you you see the same story over and over. I think you can say that about any genre, but um, but Jessica is injecting new dynamic a new dynamic or a new way of telling a slasher story
0: I agree I had I'm gonna say it again I had a lot of fun with it (laughs) I also just I loved the aesthetic and the atmosphere of it I thought she very much nailed that as far as scariness goes I would say this is maybe a cold room temperature there's definitely spookiness like you said she knows her slasher stuff there's definitely gore she doesn't hold back on that I thought this was well balanced with horror and fun so that is zerk berserk by jessica guess
1: you know um, and talking about that about it not being super scary um tell you the truth slashers to me um are not super scary slashers deliver jump scares you know like you get frightened and whether you're on the page or the screen or whatever um but um they don't like a, a possession story or a haunted house story those scare you in a different way than a slasher scares you. I think um, slasher like slashers they do instill a sense of dread in you. They make you like more aware of your surroundings when you're walking through a parking garage at three in the morning or something like that for sure. But, um, but it being like a, you were, you're saying cold temperature wise in, in relation to scares. Um, I don't think that's, that's not at all
0: bad. I don't think that's kind no. of,
1: that's what, that's what that's good for a slasher even, you know? Oh, Definitely yeah
0: i was definitely traumatized by a lot of slashers in my (laughs) (laughs) urban legend is the reason i like check my back seat and like check under
1: (laughs) i know for sure we should all listen to brad dorf when he tells us to come inside to do the credit card (laughs) you know (laughs) um all right so my turn right yeah all right um i just finished one last night um uh, it's Ivy Follin's Taste Like Candy. And I'd never heard of it. Um Brian Brian o- Osman um mentioned it to me on Twitter. He asked if I'd heard of it and I hadn't, so I bought it and had it read up like three or four days later. Um, it's really good. Um like with Halloween, um people always talk about how John Carpenter like kept Michael like the way he composed his scenes and let Michael kind of sidle into the background. That's where the terror is. It's like a lurking kind of atmospheric terror. And he they're right, of course. John Carpenter's technique is a big part of the power of that movie as is his score those are huge components that made Halloween what it is but a component that often gets dismissed is Deborah Hill's writing the dialogue for Laurie Strode and her friends, you know, making them sound like high school girls. And um, that's, that's something that gets neglected so often in horror is we've got to care about and believe in the reality of these people who are about to die so that we care, so that we, we, we just have to be invested in their survival, you know? And I think Deborah Hill made that happen. I think John Carpenter delivered the scares and all, but Deborah Hill made those high school girls real and Ivy Tholan in taste and taste like candy she has this crew of, um, what do you call it? A rising senior when somebody's going from a junior to a senior, I heard that term the other day, or maybe that term is in this book. even. But, um, and these girls are, it's like, it's like me being a 49 year old dude. It's like, I have access to a world that I never knew existed. Cause they're like, they're like teenage girls, like 30 years after I was in high school, you know? And, and so their way of talking to each other is just, it's, it feels like it's very real. And, um, I'm really I was really impressed with the book and it does not go light on the gore. It it goes all the way into the, the gore, the blood, the violence, and it keeps you guessing too. And that's hard to do in a slasher, because slasher audiences, we know um all the little um giveaways and tells that indicate who the killer is, you know? And that's part of the fun of the fun of it is trying to guess. But um in Taste Like Candy, Ivy Thelen does a really good job of keeping us guessing and um, I'm completely impressed with it. Really, really liked it a lot. Um, On a, yeah, on a fear scale or, you know, what I would say, I would give it like whatever, whatever like a 40 is, you know, is that like medium warm or something?
0: Fridge. I think freezer is the scariest. So it's like room temperature to freezer.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. I would say, yeah, fridge. That feels about right. Maybe the crisper in the fridge. You know. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, because it is unsettling when the when the person takes their mask off and we see who it is and everything. Um, it is kind of unsettling why this is happening. You know.
0: Yeah, I had never heard of this book until you mentioned it, and I looked it up and I, it's on Kindle Unlimited, so it is on my Kindle like right now, <laughs> ready to go. It looked it looked like it was totally up my alley. So. Yeah.
1: Really good time.
0: So my next book I'm going to talk about is Night Shoot by David Sodergren. This is his second book. So I read his debut novel, The Forgotten Island, which is like survival horror. I had a lot of fun with that. Um, and this was just as good. So this is about a group of desperate student filmmakers that break into the Crawford Manor for an unauthorized night shoot. They have no choice. Their lead actress has quit. They're out of time. They're out of money. They're out of luck. For Crawford Manor has a past that won't stay dead. And the crew is about to come face to face with the hideous secret that stalks the halls will anyone survive the night shoot (laughs) is the synopsis um so this was also a ton of fun like as i just said it follows this film class they're they're filming this horror movie for their class and like the guy that's directing it has access to this ancestral family home but like the rule is he has to be out of there by eight o'clock But with all these things go wrong, they decide that they're going to, like, pretend to leave and then come back and then break back in and finish filming all their scenes. But, of course, they find out they're not alone and there's stuff there. This also does not skimp on the gore. David Slaughtergren is a huge horror fan, absolutely knows his stuff, (laughs) and you can tell. But what I also liked about this is that he did get the humor part of it as well. You know, we get the lightheartedness, we get, like, the funny situations and kind of the funny dialogue with all this stuff. And it was very fast paced. I I read this, I think in like two days. I just had a ton of fun with this and would absolutely recommend it. Uh, temperature wise, I would say it's a, like a cold room temperature, some genuine like gory, <laughs> some genuinely gory moves, gory moves. And I really love the story as a whole and especially how it wrapped up and our journey with our main character. I was very attached. So that is Night Shoot by David Sodergren.
1: Wonderful. You're so good at like wrapping up and saying the title again. Like I always forget to do that part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but no, since you mentioned this, um, I've bought it. And uh, that first chapter, I think it's titled 1976, if I remember correctly. Um, and I'm so excited to start that tonight. Um, somehow this had gone not on my radar. And um, I feel like I feel like i um, if my heart is a chainsaw, does nothing else. It should at least get people sending all slasher books to me, you know, <laughs> I feel <laughs> like, <laughs> um, because like when, when only get Indians, like because of only get Indians, I get all elk things sent to me, you know, and mongrels get to me all werewolf things sent to me. So I think I, because of my heart is a chainsaw, I now need all slasher things to come to me <laughs> <you know? laughs> in some way, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to read this and it sounds like a wonderful build. It sounds kind of like, um, uh, i don't know like hell Night, you know the, the linda blair slasher um i think it was rated pg everybody hated because it, it was rated, rated pg but I think it's all right um just being i love that being locked in a house that's that agatha christie thing you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh my turn my turn yeah <laughs> um how about i'll go with i'll go with um Haley piper's benny rose the cannibal king um i was i was super super impressed with this um Haley really um, just like I was saying with Ivy Tholan, she makes her high school characters just feel so, um, so real, you know, like their little relationships and like petty squabbles and reasons for doing things are super compelling. But also Benny Rose is pretty, pretty terrifying. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but um, you would not want to be in a tight hallway with Benny Rose, you know, (laughs) Not, not at all. He, he, he's unsettling. And, um, and this is kind of an interesting slasher because, um, um, like when you watch Friday the 13th or some of the later Friday the 13ths, anyways, um, or no, how about when you watch Nightmare on Elm Street? The evil is located in Freddy. He's the slasher. That's where the evil is located, and that's not necessarily the case with Benny, the Ro- Benny Rose, the Cannibal King. You know, and that was a really interesting way to do it. I thought, um, yeah, was I'm really impressed with it. I would, I would probably also put it in the crisper along with taste like candy oh and i'm gonna say the title again Haley piper's benny rose the cannibal king
0: (laughs) i love Haley piper i read her collection uh earlier this year and it is like one of my favorite things i've read this year and now i have queen of teeth on my shelf (laughs) waiting to be read but yeah she came on and we talked about short story collections she's just great Mm So my last pick is Clown in a Cornfield by Adam Caesar. I, again, had a ton of fun with this book. I will try to think of a synonym for fun, so I don't say that 800 times. But this is about a girl who moves into a new town with her father, and she's kind of plopped into the middle of a conflict she has nothing to do with, but now she's just kind of in the middle of it. there's like a corn syrup factory that's shut down. And like on one side, there's adults that are desperate to like make where they live great again. And the other side is kids who just like want to have fun and be kids. And it just becomes this generational divide, this battle between like old and new and tradition and progress. And, you know, throwing in a creepy friendo, the Bay pen mascot clown <laughs> figure on top of it. This I know this is not set in the 90s, but when I was reading it, it felt to me like a 90s slasher. Like, that is the immediate, like, feeling I had that just, I don't know, maybe that was just the golden era of, like, teen slashers, like, in my... <laughs> maybe that's the era that I grew up in, so that's, like, the one I... <laughs> I'm I closest to. But I had a great time in this, and I, I really liked the getting into what this generational war was and I think this was a great YA novel and if someone is looking for like I want something that is young adult that is for a teen audience but is still very much horror and not skimping out on that in any way this is a great place to jump in if you are looking for like a horror fan that wants to get into reading like teen horror I think this is perfect um I would put this in the fridge like I there was some like real for me tense moments that I remember and characters like you were saying earlier that I was attached to that you know then I was like oh no you know this is the part where you're in the house alone and you're yelling like hello is anybody there and you're like no
1: you're (laughs) meeting your end Yeah.
0: yeah so there was characters I got attached to that I had to say goodbye to and I was like
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no, I love Clan the Corn Climb of the Cornfield and you know, talking to Adam, um well also he's get, that's he's doing a sequel to it, isn't he? I think there's a sequel coming think, out. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um and I think there's something in the works like it's getting like adapted to big screen, small screen somewhere. I think I think it's it might be might be happening. Anyways, um yeah, this came out as Y horror. But um, that the you know slashers, I think slashers because they're often um dealing with high school kids. I mean, they can, it's kind of like they can go either way. They can be like YA or not YA, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it feels like with Adam's book, it was kind of a, um, like a marketing decision, you know? Cause it, uh, cause it doesn't, I mean, not at all. I, I would never insult young adult. I think young adult stuff, actually the way I read young adult stuff is it's like a, what we call adult fiction but with all the boring stuff left out you know (laughs) because there's a lot of boring stuff in adult fiction like people talking about their feelings and being just all these slow down moments um young adult has momentum it's got velocity and adam's writing definitely has velocity i've been reading him since tribesman i guess way back when um whenever i have a slasher question or a giallo question i write him and matt serafini and matt serafini's done a slasher too under the blade um um, and they those two guys they know slashers inside out, you know, yeah,
0: yeah, I also loved under the blade, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I have a friend Jesse, he knows a lot of slasher stuff too, those are probably the three people i hit, uh, hit up first for slasher stuff, um um, and you know, I don't uh, giallo stuff, I think um Matt serafini knows giallo is better than than I do, I don't think I'm a Giallo expert, I've seen all the big ones, but I don't think I've gone deep deep enough on that shelf myself, you know.
0: It's a big blind spot for me. I know David Sodergren, I think his most recent one is like a Giallo okay. style book. But, but yeah, that's a big, kind of a big blind spot for me. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, every every time I watch one, I'm like, I need to watch more of these because they're amazing, you know. And they have such fun titles too. Uh, they're <laughs> all kinds of fun. Um, so my turn. Um, man. There's so many, like my, my last one, um, this is my last one. Yeah. This is my third one, right? Yeah. It's my third one. Um, I want to talk about Grady Hendrix's final Girl support group. Paul Michael Anderson did standalone. Did you read standalone? It's really good. It's a, it's a slasher. No, that on I on my
0: list.
1: It's a slasher I wouldn't have guessed, you know, um, what is her name? Gina Walsdorf did security up years back. That's really good. But, you know, I think I'm finally going to land. I'm, I'm trying to keep these three indie, I guess. Um, so I'm going to say, um, Jonathan Rab's, it's got a long title. The like Camp ghoul Mountain, Part Six. It could be Camp ghoul Mountain Massacre, Part Six. But um it's a book that, like, the production was. It was like a really limited run of them. I think you can probably get it on Kindle pretty easily. But um, Jonathan Rab, and this is, I say Rab. It's um, R A A B. Um, I don't know how to. I don't know how to say that. I think I'm saying it right, but it doesn't it probably doesn't pop in your head. It's the way to spell it. Um, anyways, it's a big old book. I bet this book goes probably plus 400 pages and Jonathan Rabb knows the slasher genre inside out. And it's so wonderful. Like, what well, like with Adam and Clymer cornfield it's so wonderful to be in the hands of a writer who knows the genre so intimately, you know? And, and so because Jonathan Rabb knows the genre so intimately, he can go out to the far peripheries of what's, you know, somewhat possible on the slasher and then come back around and surprise you with something that you should have been expecting. You know, I'm, um, Oh, I'm not even telling you the premise of it. Um, I can't even tell you the premise of it because it is so, there's so many layers to this book, I guess that's what it is. You know, there's, there's, um, uh, Maybe just saying that it starts at part six should be enough. <laughs> you know, that you don't that that you don't see the first the first you know, the first five don't really exist. It's like with Dude Bro Party Massacre, part three, <laughs> you know? That you don't the first two don't need to exist. The third one is a good one. Um that's how this is, you know, this part six of Camp Ghoul Mountain. Um, it's what you need. Um it well, I guess much like Scream Three, it is kind of about the filming uh, it's like a, a film crew is out like I don't know where they shouldn't be anyways and bad stuff happens and then it gets worse and worse and worse and there's a lot of developments that you could never in a hundred years guess but each one is just more and more thrilling than the last yeah i recommend i always i try to recommend that book a lot it's really good camp ghoul mountain part four part six i'm sorry part six
0: I have that one on my Kindle that was one I was also considering like reading for this episode I've seen a lot about it but yeah it is one of those things like the title and I was like part six do I need to read part one through five and then I was looking for it and I'm like do they not oh this is a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I know there are so many books I was thinking for this episode also have you read anything by like Cameron Rubik like the Kill River books those are a ton of fun
1: I did. I did. read Yeah. Kill river. Yeah. I read that a while back.
0: <laughs> yeah. So those are fun. Um, and
1: he, he also has one with disco in the title, right? He has some, yeah.
0: yeah. <sighs> disco death night. I don't have that one. Yeah. And then he has like golf, golf curse.
1: <laughs> you know, there, there's another writer like, um, what's his name he, he goes by jack quaid that's like but it feels 100 percent like a pen name and he, he did the escape from everywhere trilogy escape from happydale escape from like bastard town and i forget what the other one was. but um and it's a it's kind of like a hack and slash like a cassie hack final girl going from town to town taking care of slashers you know and it's really entertaining but i keep like the next horror con i go to I'm gonna be looking at every person like you're Jack Quaid, aren't you? You're Jack Quaid because you can you can tell from the preface that it's Jack Quaid is not a real person. You know that this is like a, a mask that someone's wearing to write these books. Or um, that's what I think, anyways. But I haven't asked around. I think it's fun not knowing, actually. It
0: was funny because I was looking at the author page for that today, and I was like, "Who is that? <laughs> Who is this Jack Quaid?" yeah well because then in the thing too it's like this was a book that was out of print and i was like really is it out of print and i'm like wait now i (laughs) i'm not getting the joke (laughs) i'm falling for all the all the things (laughs) well something i like to ask all guests that come on this show is for a chilling obsession so what is something in horror that you've been enjoying recently it can be movie show podcast book
1: yeah. Um my recent obsession in horror. You know, I was I'm really impressed with the the Netflix series that um was Mike Mike Flanagan, the Haunting of Hill House and Blind Manor too, both of those. I was really impressed with um like the amount of emotion he was able to swell up at the end of each of those, and especially Blind Manor. And um and so if I do have an obsession, I think that's been it. It's been how to deliver the goods both both horror wise fright wise but also emotion wise you know because i think that's so, so important we don't you go into a book yeah you want to take the thrill ride you want to like feel the machetes and the blood splashing on your face and all that stuff but you also want your heart to like grow three sizes you know like the grinch and um and i think flanagan is that is my his name right it is mike flanagan right yeah. yeah he has a really good instinct with that and um so I've been really kind of studying those, I guess.
0: I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm reading, rereading The Haunting of Hill House for a Patreon series. And then afterwards, we're going to rewatch the Netflix series. And I am so excited to dig back into that again. I just loved that as an adaptation too, like how different he took it. But I felt like still had the heart of the story.
1: It totally did. And it's that the, I think The Haunting of Hill House is actually scarier than the Bly Manor one. But um, mm-hmm. like was Nell like popping up and yeah she, that was just a pretty terrifying series it really like I would watch that with my family this is it came out when my kids still lived at home and um and afterwards I'd be like having to follow my wife really closely down the hall to get to our bedroom because I knew that something like it, oh, the the way he <laughs> shot house it made you pay attention to the backgrounds in a way you usually don't have to you know and that made me aware of my backgrounds very very much <laughs>
0: oh yeah that's right he had like the hidden ghosts and all the and all the shots i can look for that now this time i rewatch it i'm gonna be looking for all the ghosts in the background (laughs) oh man well another thing we do on the podcast is we have a spotify playlist where we ask our guests what their final girl song would be so what is yours
1: yeah, you know, I saw, I saw that playlist, and I, I still want to listen to it, but no matter how much I request a new password, Spotify won't send me a new password, so I can't listen to it. It's terrible. Um, but um, I'm really surprised no one's mentioned this one yet. Um, my my contribution to a Final World playlist would be Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, you know?
0: Yeah, that is like, <laughs> it's definitely the energy we're going for. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I listened today today listened to a whole lot of covers of that trying to see if there was a better cover but there's not she she's the one who she did it the first time and she did it the last time you know
0: so it wouldn't be the original it wouldn't be like a slowed down dramatized like horror movie version
1: (laughs) I did find a metal version it's kind of neat you know it's like some people in their garage it feels like but um but it still it wasn't as good as the original (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right.
0: Well, I will add the original to, to the, the playlist because, yeah, this for a final girl playlist, it needs it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today about my heart is a chainsaw and slasher stories.
1: Man, this has been a ball. I could go, I could go for hours more talking slashers. You know, <laughs> and when when you said when you said pick three books, I was like, my heart broke. Like, I can't pick forty-seven books.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will still. Put in the show notes all the books we mentioned so people will still be aware. They can still get all the books we talked about. <laughs> right. And where can people find you online?
1: Oh, at my website, which is demontheory.net, or I guess it's Stephen Graham's note Stephen Graham jones.com, but it resolves to Demontheory.net, my old novel from two thousand six. Um or Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Make found me there.
0: Well, this episode is coming out early september so my heart is a chainsaw is out you should go get it go read it
1: (laughs) thank you thank you so much thank you it's been great talking
0: Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer, and I'm on TikTok as Books in the Freezer, and the stuff I post on there is not just rehashed from the podcast itself. It's totally different, like, recommendation videos. It's pretty fun. You can also send me an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, there are actually a few ways to do that. One of them is to become a Patreon supporter on Patreon. Uh, There are three levels. There's a one, three, and a $5 level. So you can check that out and check out all the different perks that you can get at each level, like... Early episode releases, finding out uh, what the next topic is going to be, being able to ask guest questions, um, Voxer group chats, and I am starting a new job and I will hopefully be into a more secure schedule so I can bring back movie nights because we haven't done those in a while and those were a ton of fun, so I'm excited to do that. And You can check all that out at patreon.com slash books in the freezer. Another way to support the podcast is to use our Amazon link. You can find that in the show notes for this episode and all episodes. You just click the link. It takes you to Amazon. You do your normal Amazon shopping that you would normally do. And a small percentage of that goes to help the podcast. Fun things people have bought recently. You know, someone went grocery shopping. I see that shredded cheese in Starbucks coffee. And someone bought a hydration pack. So, you know, fun stuff, fun stuff. Now you might be asking, is there a way I can show my support for the podcast without spending any money? And the answer is absolutely. Word of mouth is huge for small independent podcasts like this one. So telling your friend about it, posting on social media, all of that is absolutely a big help. Also, if you write a review on a platform like Apple Podcast. All of that helps a ton and it helps the podcast gain visibility and, you know, rank in like the Apple book arts charts. I'm not going to pretend like I understand how that works, but I know that it helps. So thank you to all of you who have done that. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram at that's what she read. And that's that's with two A's. So see you next time on... Books in the Freezer.